Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Adoptees podcast. So today we've got a delightful guest for you. Every guest is delightful, um, and every guest it's a it's a delight to speak to my fellow uh, our fellow adoptees. I, I love this. So welcome to the show, Eleanor Hall. Hi, Eleanor. Hi. Nice to Hi. have have you and see you and everything. <laughs> yeah. So a fellow adoptee, uh, and you're 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 also an author, uh, like so many of of, of the guests. Um, uh, you know the I, I found this site that lists um, adoptee books, and it's um, it's called Adoptee Reading. And and, and this, uh, you know, I, first off, I was totally blown away by the number of um, of adoptees that are who are out there uh, writing books. And um, and like people, when I mention it to to, to people, they, they haven't heard of it. So it's adopteereading.com. and that's where I found uh, that's where I found Eleanor. So she's a fellow adoptee. Um, she is also a, a a social worker. She's been explaining to me what the, the the letters stand for. So she is an LMSW, which is a licensed masters social worker and uh, some people are at the next level up to become a licensed clinical social worker and lcsw in the states that does that requires a thousand hours which ellen is working on but you know, a thousand hours a lot um so uh, social worker adoptee and um author and before we, we we had a chat uh three four weeks ago and we've just been chatting again and and uh the 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 topic that we've landed on for today um, is is identity so wh- why is why identity why is that important um to, to to you why is that an important topic to 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 discuss on that I think identity can be looked at from the macro level and the micro level but also identity is something that can be so intertwined and so everyday affecting everyone's worldview so yeah. how I see myself, how others see me, all of that combined kind of connects identity. So if someone walks up to you and says, wow, I've always, um, or how about this? Like uh, when maybe before I was married, someone would maybe go up to me and say, oh my gosh, you and so-and-so would be so great together. And you meet so-and-so and you're thinking, oh my gosh, that was really not a great date. Like, I don't know what in the world that person thought of like why did that person think we would be such a good match right so then you might have some sort of not necessarily identity crisis but maybe just go into huh I wonder what about me presented to be a good fit for that other person um and so that's just a simple example of how our our life and our worldview is not always necessarily how people see us either (laughs) for the good or the bad so so I guess you're talking about an external view of identity rather than an internal view of identity. Normally, we think of inter- uh, we normally think of how we see ourselves, but you're t- talking about how others see us. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that you can't separate them always. Um, so if someone comes to you and and says, "Yeah, you know, hey, I think X, Y, and Z," then it might ha- cause a self reflection moment and say, "Okay, I wonder." what about me led them to think that? And so I think that um, identity is something that is often to be uh, rethought of and explained. And especially when people go through um, self-care and self-help, 
right? Like if someone's like, I want to improve this area of my life, that's going to require some more identity formation too. I think the issue is that being an adoptee, your identity starts off, or at least somewhere in your adoptee journey, your identity starts off as um, misformed or uh, unknown, like a, a piece of unknown is in there usually for everybody, even if they have an open adoption, there's still some parts of, oh my gosh, what if this happened? What if this happened? Um, and that can really break apart people's identity. So how are we building it back? Yeah. And there's healthy ways to build it back. There's unhealthy ways to build it back, right? But I think that's why those outside influences are important because it helps you build it back for better or for worse, right? So uh, I was just reaching um, uh, up. I was just reaching behind my computer, and Alan is probably wondering what was going on. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was pretty sure that identity is one of the seven core issues um, uh, in 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 adoption, and and it is. So I've I've just got this book. Um, it's by Alison Davis uh, Maxson, who's who was on has been on the podcast, and a lady called uh, Sharon Kaplan Rosier uh, R O S Z or Z as you guys would say. IA. Um, and yeah, identity is, is one of the, the, the core issues that people have um, uh, have looked at, identified. Um, so that's, I guess that's another reason for, for looking at it, because it is such a central issue. Mm-hmm. For me, um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about uh, identity, and some of that may come into the conversation, but really these podcasts are, I'm trying as, as much as possible to, for it to be a dialogue and um, a conversation between the two the two of us, um, me, me and the guests, or if there's three, you know, the three of us. Um, identity, I, I see identity in a, quite an interesting, a different, a kind of a different, a different way, and that might come in. But before I get into my take on it, what do you mean by macro and micro? Yeah. So in social work, at least in the state of Texas where I live, um, macro means essentially big picture and micro means more individual focused. So our macro identity is what someone that doesn't know me sees a picture of me, right? And they might assign certain characteristics based on my um, race, my gender, um, if they know what I do as a job. And then my micro identity is something that's more like something that's more uh, interpersonal relationships. So my friends, my family, and how those people see me. And then of course, there's also my, my self identity. So, um, you know, who am I, what affects me? So that's um, my religion, my hopes, my beliefs, my adoptive background, right? So uh, I think there's different levels. Okay. Wow. So we've got, um, yeah, no wonder we get confused, right? Because um, we've got the, so you've got basically how how uh, a bigger group of people see, a, a distance view of, of you uh, from the external side, You've or, or, or us a distance view of us. We've got a uh, up close and personal view of us from the outside, and we've also got the internal view how we see ourselves. So you mentioned that um, the combination how these two combine um, the external and the internal view. So h- how do you see that relationship? 
I think it's kind of up to the person, but I think it depends on where are you finding your identity from? Are you getting your identity from strangers' comments on the internet, right? Like, that's why I think young people are so um, moldable, maybe in an unhealthy way with bad boundaries on the internet, because they're like, oh my gosh, this one person didn't like my video, so I'm, I'm worthless, right? Like, where do you assign your worth? Um, or do you assign it from your best friend saying, oh my gosh, I see X, Y, and Z qualities about you. And so I think those can kind of merge in different ways. Um, and it's up to the individual to to figure out like, what are they going to see value in, right? And so a big part of my identity is my faith. And my faith tells me that I do have worth. But then if someone um, close to me or or not as close to me says, well, I don't have worth, I'm going to go back to my main identity source, which is my religion. But then other people have other identity sources, right? Where do they, where do they find uh, their definition of identity for them? So, and I think it's important and, and interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's so interesting because I have, I would never actually think that um, identity is an external thing. I would, I would purely, I have always purely focused on, uh, you know, I, I, I am, uh, I am who I am, whatever that is, but I've always focused on it from an internal perspective, never an external perspective. That's not to say that what other people say about me um, doesn't impact me, right? Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, but... I would never, I would never see identity as as an external thing. Um, so, I, when I and and I, and I like the way that you you're you're linking um, identity with self esteem. So it's the self and the self esteem. T to me, it also links into. Um, the it links into the, the adoption space in through the the primal wound when so one of the questions i came up with and it's a it's it's a little bit of a weird one i think i know i not heard anybody else saying this is i'm ready yeah what what's wounded by the primal wound so what what is it that what is it that's wounded so do you want it does anything come to, to your mind when you hear that question? I like that question a lot. Um, and I think that the first thing that came to mind is some level of knowns, uh, K-N-O-W-S, uh, the opposite of unknowns, some level of knowns or security. And then, of course, um, brain development or reading books like The Primal Wound, of course, there's a biological component um, that is also physically broken um, with parent separation. Uh, but I think that's the first thing that came to mind is that there's just automatically going to be more unknowns in that person's life. Um, and I think security, just in general, there's more insecurity and more um, unknowns. Okay. So the 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 way the the way I see it is that uh, the the primal the primal wound 
has hurt my feelings. Okay. Um, so I have felt wounded. Um, but it, it, so, so the first word is feelings. The primal wound has cut, hurt my feelings. And the next one that came to mind is my, the primal wound has helped, uh, has uh, wounded my self identity. Mm-hmm. Um, or my sense of self or my ego, right? And I'm using those three things interchangeably. Sense of self, um, idea of self, and and ego, it's helped me. But then, but none of, but my sense of self, um, my, and my ego, they're not who I truly am. They're not the essence of my, uh, uh, of my, of who I am. So my perception of who I am is different to who I truly am. Does that make any sense? Or does that sound like mumbo jumbo rubbish? I think you're saying that how, let me, how I heard it is how you see yourself internally with your identity and how maybe other people see you. The primal wound has affected that. Uh, Yes. So if somebody hasn't read the primal wound, then that then they're not gonna they're not gonna see me as wounded. They're not gonna say oh, Simon's being wounded by the primal wound because they they have no knowledge of it, right? Right. Um, but in terms of and same for me, really. So I didn't I, I didn't really I didn't feel wounded until I read the primal wound. I, it was I felt, a validating wound. It, it was validating, yeah, <laughs> it, it, and it be, and that became a slippery slope. So, um, I I thought, I think my question was, maybe I've got some adoption issues, okay? Or I, I, I think have we all evidence. do. So yeah, <laughs> I've, I've I've had some evidence. I've I've I felt I felt internally some evidence of you know potential something. But I hadn't kind of summed it up, and I hadn't seen, um, I, I hadn't seen myself as wounded. Now, a lot. That's just my, that's just my take on it, and what I've learned in terms of <laughs> the size of the primal wounds. I, I talked about this quite a lot um, for for simplicity and an overview. Is that I feel that my primal wound was like a paper cut. Whereas some primal, some some adoptees' primal wounds um, is is more like a um, at the other extreme of the scale, it, it's like they've had a chunk of them bitten out, bitten out them like the great white shark in the Jaws movie, right? So there's a continuum. The size of the wound is different. I think so, that itself is kind of an interesting question of like, what do you see your primal wound as because I think I would say mine was like a like a burn or a scar where I it's there but it's healing and it's in a place that if I want to show someone that it's there then I can talk about it (laughs) so you've got you've got a you've got a past memory Uh, it's it's scabbed over so it, it it's no longer bleeding it's scabbed over, then it's become a, a scar. Um, so it's in the past, but you can 
you can read you can go back to that to that past and talk about it as a as a memory so and and bring that forth from the past into a into a current conversation so um let's go back to yeah is anything coming up for you from from this I think it really would be such an interesting question to just poll a lot of adoptees and see like, what do you see your wound um, is personified the right word? Like, what do you see? What do you see that kind of looking like in your own life? uh, Literally, I feel like I'm a very literal person. And (laughs) so whenever you said like, what do you see yours as? I was like, well, what what would, you know, when you're describing yours, I was like, I think mine would be more like a, like a scar or something. But um, I think that would just be an interesting poll to do just like hey what is you know for people listening like what do you see your kind of identity marker for adoption as but I also think it really depends what your adoption story is so I was um adopted at 18 months old internationally in a closed adoption from Russia so I think that how people's uh, primal wound began <laughs> can also really affect um, affect their own story because someone that was adopted at age 14 from the United States foster care system, you know, they're, that's going to look different. So it's just going to be very interesting. And of course their definition of wound would be different as well, but just interesting to think about. Yeah. So the, the way I'm, I'm very literal as well, actually on this. Um, and uh, I, I was adopted at a, a, a close adoption um, and it was five weeks, but I was only, adopted from 50 miles away right so I, d- I don't have that didn't have the um cultural the international development the kind of way i i, I see the uh, the trauma is is a, as layers so um we've got the 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 the, the bottom layer um uh, is that we all share it is the primal wound and that may be larger or larger or thinner that's that's the kind of like the base the base layer if you know if we're assuming that the primal wound does exist right um then you've got that you've got the 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 next layer could be some trauma that happens prior prior to the um prior to the um adoption so trauma that's happening in, in in the home with the biological mother. Then you've got uh, you've got that international di- dimension that you've mentioned, a, a, a cultural issue. Um, so that's you know white 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 babies being adopted by white parents, but at at, at a at a distance, or black babies being adopted by black parents, uh, adopted parents at a distance. Then you've got the kind of like the transracial layer as well. So, and uh, uh, so a, a white, a white kid, a, a white kid, a black kid, often a black kid um, adopted by white parents. Then you've got the uh, some you've got trauma that may have happened within the adoptive family. So this is these are building they're building up of layers of trauma. So there's multiple layers, and each layer has a different. Um, different thickness. If it it's got a diff, different thickness, so there might be some trauma, say that happens, um, some really extreme trauma that happens 
in in the um, w- within the biological family in setting. Um, so there might be some like abuse, right? Or the or or, the, or less a thinner layer would be like neglect. Right? So the 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 baby just didn't have, uh, and you've got that. Um, if you've got a lot of people adopted from um, Russia and that, those parts where the, the, they've been in an orphanage, so there's there's there may be some um, trauma to do with neglect. The fact that it, it, it's not one to one; it's 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 one one person in charge of twelve kids. You know, so you've got a, a neglect thing going on. But the key thing for me, so that explains we can start to get a picture of the the, tra- the trauma laying up. But I don't it, know why I pictured like a sandwich when you were saying the layers. I don't know if it's because I woke up very early and I'm hungry or what, but I pictured almost like a it's a sandwich. It's a messy sandwich, but yeah, it's a messy sandwich. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Um it, it's a it, it it's a sandwich and it's like a sandwich cake, you know, you've kind of building up. Um uh so yeah, maybe a cake because you've got like a black forest gatto, so you've got different layers. <laughs> So your sandwich, the sandwich, uh, you know, a sandwich is um, brown bread, butter, ham, butter, brown bread. You know, so you've only got really three layers, and but um, you got you got you might have more layers on a cake. But isn't it great to be able to kind of put a light, uh, uh, you know, come up with a, a a slightly funny take on trauma because most of the time, you know, like. We're we're we we're we're we're, um, we're 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 looking at this trauma, and and uh, I've got my hands on my head, and I'm you know like I'm I'm tearing my hair out with trauma, and and I'm getting very scared of trauma, and and trauma's the ultimate en- enemy, um, and and and, and it, it's we we're just kind of getting more and more afraid of it, so the monster under the bed is just getting. It's just multiplying. There's not just one monster. There's a series of monsters, and it's you know like isn't it? Isn't it great to be able to say, yeah? Oh, is it a sandwich? Is it ham sandwich, or is it a um, uh, is it a a black forest gatto? You know, what's your metaphor for the trauma sandwich? Absolutely, you get to pick the ingredients in your trauma sandwich, and I think a lot of people assume that their trauma sandwich i will we'll, we'll coin that term i feel like their trauma sandwich though they may th- may think it has to look like x y and z or they may think it has to have you know tomatoes instead of pickles or whatever but i think that no matter what age a person was adopted um day you know hour one of life or hour you know 600 of life um that doesn't mean that they lose an ingredient of the trauma or something like someone everyone's backgrounds are still very valid, even if they were adopted like hour one of birth, you know? And I think that non-adoptees, that's just a really big misconception. Um, so. Yeah. So as I went, as I took us down a side, a side road here, I've come back and I hadn't actually realized how these two things sit. So let me just say it in five words, okay, how this connects for me. We are not our, we are not our trauma. 
We are not our trauma. But we're the holder of the sandwich. We're the holder of the sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) We are the holder of the sandwich. Oh, I mean, sometimes, uh, you know, you, 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 you ever, you ever I, I never cook, right? My, so my signature dish is a, um, a frozen pizza. Okay? Oh, absolutely. Same. Yes. Signature dish. <laughs> but, you know, when you see, sometimes, you, you, you know, my wife, got, my wife does all the cooking. I only do ironing in the house, right? That's the only thing that I do. And I'm normally listening to a podcast while I'm ironing. And I find it, and I, and I, I find it really satisfying because, you know, you start with a, a crumpled shirt and five minutes later, it's pristine. It's, it's razor edged and it's ready to go. But sometimes looking at, if I look in a, one of my wife's cookery books and I see a recipe for a sandwich, I think, isn't, do you, do you really need a recipe for a sandwich? You know, is Jamie Oliver really? And yeah, he does actually, because he, he, he's got some extra bits in it that do make, um, that, that make it extra special, whether it's, horseradish or you know some sort of sauce that you wouldn't normally cook with that thing right but so we could be the uh the uh we could be the creator uh, the holder of of the um the sandwich are we the chef making the sandwich i don't think we are are we it's kind of given to us so yeah you 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 it's definitely not the chef it's not the, we we didn't create our own trauma we are the person who has taken that trauma and we are now holding it. And I would say for myself, holding, when I was holding that trauma, I thought it was me. Mm. I thought I was primarily wounded. Me, the essence of me. I thought, I, I've had two main stressors in my life, right? Number one, business. Number two, adoption. With business, I didn't think I was good enough, right? So I didn't think the performance of the business, my business, was good enough. But I could do something about that, right? I could go on a, a, a training course. I could um, get a coach. I could read books i could listen to podcasts i could um join a peer-to-peer mentoring group and i did all those things right to try and improve my business success but so i could move forward from that but when i read the primal wound i thought well i'm wounded i am my trauma this i am always going to be chained to this trauma this primal wound it's never going to heal and um, i'm stuck with it so i'm stuck with it so what are my coping strategies how am i going to get through given that i am wounded uh and then so i went off in i went in search of those um coping strategies it never really occurred to me that I could heal. Um, I stayed in the personal development space, the spiritual kind of world. And, and, and then something happened for me and I, and I 
realized that who we truly are, that essence of who we are, the essence of my identity is actually fundamentally unwoundable. We are not our trauma. Our, our feelings are not who we are. Um, so they, what do you make of all that? Well, it's the difference between, well, one, thank you for sharing. And I think that's a really good takeaway. Um, I, it's the difference between um, we're not necessarily responsible or the reason for our trauma, but we are responsible for how we hold it and take care of it. Um, so while we're not necessarily the cause, we are maybe collaterally the effect. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, that's that affects our our life and if it affects our life it affects our identity so yeah so before we started um listeners i said to eleanor that as i have these conversations i am conscious that it is a conversation i am conscious that the podcast is all about bringing the um the guest's perspective to this so it, it we're sharing our perspectives and the balance to which we share will vary so i did a podcast the other day um with a, another adoptee and it was an area that i was less familiar with so she was leading more um and i was asking more questions whereas this one here about the identity and going into the primary this is at the very guts of, of what I'm what I'm fascinated by. So sometimes, uh, it, some sometimes it, it it's more of me sharing my perspective, um, and and um, but uh, Eleanor hasn't hung up on the Zoom call yet, and she's smiling. <laughs> so I'm guessing that she that I'm guessing that you're okay with this. So I'm just checking that you're okay with this, yeah. Yeah, um, I think people could walk around saying, um, you know, trauma sandwich or anything now. I feel like maybe we've helped some people with some some good visuals for yeah. for what their story is. What the story is, yeah. So, yeah, it, it is. A, we're looking at a metaphor, yeah. We're looking at different metaphors. So we're trying to um, – so a metaphor for metaphors is is the the invisible man, right? Have you seen the film? Have you seen films, The Invisible Man? No? Okay, maybe it's a bit old. So the invisible man is invisible until you can't see him at all. So he, he only becomes clear, he only becomes visible when he puts his suit on, right? So he puts a suit jacket on and you can see the top of his body. He he wraps his he wraps some bandages around his head and you can see his head. Mm. So metaphors are about that that's a metaphor for metaphors. We're taking something that is invisible, like trauma, um, and we're making a metaphor out of it so that we can, um, we can because our, our minds can only deal with the concrete, or our, our minds can deal more effectively with something that's concrete rather than something that's abstract. Yeah. So I want to go back to the the key thing that you said in terms of we are we are not responsible for our trauma 
our trauma isn't our fault. Um, but I guess we are, what are we responsible for then? We're responsible for our own healing journey. We're responsible for how we hold the trauma. How we hold the trauma. Yes. So what, yeah. So how we hold the trauma. So we're back to the sandwich, right? We, I think we're back to the back sandwich. To sandwich. I, yeah. So, yeah. Because... So, yeah. How do we hold? And I, 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 I'm getting how we hold a sandwich. Um, I'm getting how we eat it as well, right? But I'm, I, I'm not getting how we hold our trauma. So, what do you kind of what do you mean by holding the trauma? It's kind of like how you were sharing that you went from um, learning about the primal wound to feeling wounded to then being like to your revelation about that of I'm not my wound, and it's not like you go from directly cause and effect right you didn't just immediately read the book and then think oh but i'm not the, the wound you had a moment where there was a plateau or a change and you had to just sit with your trauma and i think everyone has to do that so even if i um have grown in capacity to hold my trauma it's still there yeah yeah the thing i was thinking about actually was holding it as you were speaking i was thinking about like you can kind of um you, we can hold we can hold something tightly we can hold on to something tightly or we can hold it lightly so some i was talking to my mentor yesterday now she's in so she um she has uh, had a lot of trauma in her life but she's not uh, but it was in within the within her biological family her um uh, so she she was abused so she's had by her dad in every way so she was talking so she came through that she had all sorts of um yeah, so this happened when she was very young. She had all sorts of problems growing up on the back of that, like bulimic, bulimia, she was bulimic, um, as well as the psychological stuff and some court stuff, all, all sorts of stuff. But she, she's, so she's now a coach, coach, mentor, and counselor type person. And she was saying she saw a new client a couple of weeks ago and after she was trying to show the client a way, a way forward, a, a healing route. And she said, but she said to the client, I, I, I get the feeling that you're not ready mm -hmm. to, to move forward. Yeah. And she said, um, but I'm going to leave it with you because it, it it's your decision. And yes. the, the, the client came back a couple of days later and said, yeah, you're, you, I think you're, you're right, Liz. Um, I'm going to give a quick plug for Liz's book. It's called, it's not your fault. It's by Elizabeth Ivory. So 
in the show notes with the note the, the links to Eleanor's books is going to be a link to Elizabeth Ivory's book. I have to call it's not your fault. Um sounds like a good read. It's it's brilliant. Um she said the 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 client said I um, I, I, I still I, I, I'm I'm still happier talking about this. So she wasn't yet ready to let to she was still holding on to her sandwich very tightly. She wasn't ready to let her trauma go. And that was her decision and that was her yeah. It has to be your decision, right? It has so to as be much as external people can say, um, so social work, a big part of social work is empowering um, the fellow person to um, make their decisions and based on resources and other things that can positively benefit them. But one thing is that I, I guess I kind of relate it also to um, if I'm, I go to a workout class every week, but I don't always want to go, but it's still my choice to go. So if my friend tells me, um, Hey, go, you know, are you going to go to the workout class? And I say, sure. I'm still the one that has to get into my car and go to the workout class. Right. It's not like my friend telling me, Oh, you're going to go to the workout class. You're going to have a good time and you're going to be glad you went. That is not the same thing as me going and doing it. Um, and so it's it's all about the person making their own decision to kind of take ownership of their reality and saying, okay, I'm going to go. Um, not a perfect metaphor, but or example, but um, yeah. you know, it's the same thing. You you have to be the one to uh, <laughs> figure out what you're gonna what you're gonna do. And I think that's why getting everybody's perspective is so important. Um, that's actually why through adopted eyes was written how it was because I wanted everyone's want everyone else's stories to be shared too, just because it's not just me. And I think you share that too from, from interviewing all of us, right? <laughs> you know that you're not the only adoptee in the world. Um, so just kind of nice to connect in that way and hear other people's perspectives. Cause then I think we can learn from other people as well. So. Yeah. And I think writing that story down talking about in a book, um, talking about it on a podcast um, or sharing it with a therapist or sharing it with in a, um, in a, in a peer-to-peer group, in a group of a, um, a, a group of fellow adoptees. I think that does us immeasurable good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So cathartic. Cathartic, right? So, why, why, why do you think that is? I haven't got a clue. But. We want to build connection as humans, right? And so, um, isolation is very dangerous, pretty much always. And so, if we are continuing to connect with other people and other um, other fellow humans like us or ill like us, um, then it's important to feel one that you're not alone and two, everyone wants to feel heard. 
So I would say community yeah. and respect are probably the two biggest things. I love that. And um, I was thinking about, yesterday I was thinking about what does the, what does the primal wound give us, right? So it, it, it gives us, uh, it, it gives us a, a, to a certain extent, it gives us a diagnosis. It gives us a reason. Um, and the, the, the mind is looking for a reason. It's looking to explain things. And, and, and if we go into a space and we share our story and other people say, yeah, I feel that way, it, it, it gives us, to a certain extent, it gives us, uh, it, you, t- you used the word validation, didn't you, at the top of the, top of the conversation. It, it gives us validation that we're not going nuts. It's like, okay, this person has been through something similar to, to I've been through. Their sandwich may be slightly different. And yet, because everybody's sandwich is different. Everybody's trauma sandwich is different. Every, everybody's mm-hmm. experience is different, right? Yes. So they're, they're, they're bespoke. They're, they're bespoke. They're not, this isn't a mass market sandwich that's available in every uh, petrol yeah. station across the world. <laughs> um, it, 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 we, we feel that although we may be going slightly mad, we're not going totally mad because somebody else has felt similar similar to us and so there is that validation and but that can sometimes spill over into like trauma bonding where we all sort of jump in a hole together yeah and And that's why you can't just pull from one place either right like for instance if you apply for a job the boss is wanting to see a well-rounded um, applicant, even if you're a new applicant. So that's why you list your variety of skills, hobbies, that kind of thing on a job application. Um, it's the same thing with when you're sharing information. You don't want to only pull from people that are like you. Um, so that's why if I talk about adoption, my favorite, pretty much my favorite place to talk about adoption is with fellow adoptees. But then I also like to get my husband's perspective. He worked as an adoption professional for a couple of years. Um, I love to get my friend's perspective. I have friends that are birth parents and adoptive parents. I like to get my own parents' perspectives. Um, so I think we can't only pull from one place um, or else I think it tends to, like you said, the too much of a, uh, one of my friends called it a foxhole friend. <laughs> <laughs> like a, a trauma yeah. uh too uh too much trauma um it's too one-sided so i think trying to be um i think being trauma informed implies that you're also um well-rounded and getting a good source of perspective and you can still choose which perspective to engage in but i think it's important not to get stuck in one thing like for instance i tell people if they find an online group that they really connect to with other adoptees um still make sure that you're having healthy outlooks in your personal life as well um yeah a foxhole friend i like i i um i like that just so so like the 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 foxhole is you know you're at we're at war 
Um, I'm thinking First World War. That's where foxholes kind of started off. And so you're in a, and, and people are, you know, like it, it's not a great metaphor, is it? It's like wound. It's scary, you know, like cut, cut to the core, primarily wounded. Um, it's uh, it's a scary metaphor, and we live in a in a world that gets our attention by scaring us, doesn't it? You know, um, is your um, uh, you said that your husband's uh, an adoption professional. Is he an, an adoptee himself? He's not, but we actually met uh, working at a foster care and adoption uh, facility. And that's how we met. We both are kind of on to different things now. Um, but it's really interesting because uh, he's uh, TBRI is, um, yeah. yeah, he's TBRI. He taught the classes on TBRI, right? And so it's really fun to have conversations with him that are at a deeper level one because he's my husband but two because he is trauma informed and so that's really cool to get his perspective on things and so sometimes I'll talk to him about just whatever I'm feeling and it's interesting because to me as an adoptee that is a very obvious thought I'm like oh of course I think that so and so and he's like oh okay tell me why that's obvious and it just reminds me that my worldview and my sandwich is a little bit different than than his and that kind of maybe reminds me a little bit of the primal one things so yeah because the first thing that you said was you know when you talked about being adopted at 18 months old and it was an international i was thinking well um uh eleanor's uh sandwich has a has a thicker base than mine and it's got an extra layer that um uh, to mine with the international perspective um and maybe she was in a. We we you in a, a do you, do you in an orphanage, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you've got you've got at least two extra layers <laughs> to, to to me, and the fact that you were I was five weeks and you were eighteen months. The, the there's there's the the layers thicker because of just the the time that's involved. Um, and and yeah, you know, you haven't stopped smiling all the way through our conversation. <laughs> I'm I'm a genuinely um pretty happy person um but truly it's just because of my faith and how that really has rooted my identity because my faith tells me that I have worth and I can find joy um no matter where I come from or no matter what I don't know right it's almost like I feel like that first piece of bread is actually invisible just because I don't know really anything about um my beginnings I guess and that is horrifying at times it, it still is right I still still struggle with that but I think going back to my identity and who God says I am will forever be a greater joy than that pain of of not knowing things um it sounds it sounds crazy too because it's like how can the joy and the pain coexist and and they can um you you can't have positivity without by ignoring the pain either right so if i didn't leave room for my the layers of my sandwich then it would not be a realistic positivity it would just be like oh everything's great and it would be maybe more of a denial or a or not enough self exploration um to identify the layers but because i've sat with it and continue to do so and still struggle sometimes but um but because i've sat with each layer um, I'm able to find the joy in the layers still, right? It's almost like I've re it's like I've added um 
I don't know. I like a lot of sweet things. So it's like I've added some jam instead of, I don't know, salami or something <laughs> to okay. my layer. I've redefined yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. There's so much stuff. Um, first thing is that um, thriving doesn't mean never struggling. Right. Thriving adoptees, I mean, I was talking to um, a fellow adoptee yesterday and she, it, it got to my opinion, it got, it got to, it, it occurred to me that perhaps the name of the podcast puts people off, right? Mm. Because they think thriving means never struggling. Thriving doesn't mean never struggling. You know, I, I have I have meltdowns um, uh, off, not usually on a, the podcast itself, right? <laughs> um, but you know, I, I have, I have, uh, I have meltdowns. Um, I guess hopefully the the not hopefully the the, the meltdowns last longer and uh, not as deep as they were. Um, so I want to go back to the uh, the 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 the. The central topic that we started out with was identity, and you have you mentioned uh, faith a couple of times. So, how does your faith impact your identity? Is the word "impact" the right word? Determine what? What would you call it? Drive? I don't know. How. I feel like it kind of defines it. Def All um, right. Okay. So, how how does your faith? That's a better answer than I'll ask a question. Better. How does your faith? <laughs> define your identity um to me jesus wants a personal relationship with me and he tells me that i was knitted together in my mother's wound and that i'm fearfully and wonderfully made and he would tell you the same thing so because the god of the universe wants a personal relationship with me i think that's pretty cool and so because he's defined me as perfect even before I was born, perfect does not mean sinless or anything like that. We still have our own sin and where I'm not perfect at all, right? Um, I rely on him for that. But because he, God has created me and we can be best friends, that's what my identity stands on. So anything else that has happened from there, it just, it matters a lot. It hurts a lot. Adoption, things can be really hard. But if I go back to who God made me and that my worth is not determined by missing time, by missing information, but who God says I am, then that is a always going to be a stronger foundation than me as a sinful human who has no idea what I'm doing most of the time. <laughs> and I think that that is something that I will always find joy in because that's not changing. Whereas my circumstances change, my life may change, I might have a bad day or, you know, whatever. But that identity in my faith doesn't change. And that is something that is so peaceful, especially when I'm, you know, having a bad day or really just sad about, you know, birth parents or, you know, I pray for them things, but, you know, it's just, you know, it's hard sometimes not, not knowing information. So um, being able to go back to that is, is really special. And it's, it's the, it's the main way that I've found to cope and everyone's, has their own way. Right. So, um, but I can tell you that that's, I would recommend. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, the interesting. Yeah, I, I love the the. There's an interesting juxtaposition there, right? So between depth and cope and coping. So coping for me feels quite. You were talking at real depth and profundity there, uh, and 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 I love that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a religious guy myself, but you know I I, I know enough. Where I went to a, a a school where we sung hymns every morning and had lessons, and so I know kind of nothing about it. Um, but the that has real uh, gravitas and. Um, uh, and uh, uh, it's like an anchor to me and, and but interesting you use the word cope cope doesn't really do it justice quite to me I don't um and I don't know why I'm telling you I don't know why I'm saying that so um faith faith defines your identity uh and so does in a religious way then if we're to sum it up um we're talking about uh, being a child a, 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 a perfect imperfect child of god would that be a kind of a summation of it would that kind of work yeah i'm an imperfect human but i feel like with god defining my worth you know that's really important so he i guess he helps me define my worth <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. He's my he's the dictionary I'm getting the definition from, right? Yeah. <laughs> um so for for me that that's that's identity. Um so I use this phrase this quote quite a lot. Um by a French philosopher or Jesuit priest or something. And, and he, he said, or philosopher, I'm not quite sure. He said that we are, we are, um, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings. One spiritual being having a human experience. Seven billion human experiences so uh -huh. <laughs> yeah i so, like that <laughs> so I, I i'm kind of I, i'm equating um spiritual being with child of god i'm i'm just uh yeah that's how i'm that's kind of how i'm, I'm i think identity is just so complex because now we've seen I've, I see identity as macro micro but also in you know internally externally you know it's just it's a lot it's a lot it, it it's a lot but the power it, 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 the, the, the 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 power the most powerful thing that that's that that's landed for me in 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 our conversation is is that faith defines your identity how you see yourself um through the let faith the, the lens of faith is what's um helped you use the word horror right 
So how you see yourself is the ultimate kind of defense shield against the against the the monsters. So that that's not that's not complex. If identity is complex, right? If if we if we say I've said at the start, right? Identity is complex. We have different takes on it. It's it's a multiple layered thing, um, uh, and and it's confusing. But if we kind of put that all to one side. The power is the, the the most powerful thing that you've discovered in your life that keeps the smile on your face is is your your face. So it's like we had uh, Emma Stevens on there on the podcast. Um, and she she talks about the she talks about the the, the I think she talks about the, the mystery of healing in her book, mm. the gathering place, the mystery of healing. So my take on that is that healing is a spiritual uh, sorry spiritual healing from psychological healing. And I'm sorry for anybody using the Trump word. I keep on thinking I need to think of a different word to the word Trump because you know it's a it's a marmite thing. Have you heard of this? Have you heard have you heard this thing? Have you heard a thing called marmite? Marmite. Okay. Well, it's um, it's yeast extract. It's just, it's just that is a, a, a it's a brown sauce like yeast extract that people put on their sandwiches, right? <laughs> yes. She's in Marmite, right? It, it it's like brown sauce. It's a, it's a it's a and you and they they had a fantastic uh, ad campaign in the eighties because people love it or hate it. Mm. Right? So it's like people saying in the UK, it's like Marmite, which means you love it or you hate it. So oh. and and it, so I kind of identify you identify whether you're a lover or a hater of, of Marmite, right? And it's the same with um, Trump, right? There's no middle ground. So um. Emma Stevens talked about the 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 mis the mystery of healing, the mystic side of healing, the spiritual side of healing, rather than the psychological side to healing. And as I was saying that that the the spirit trumps psychology, essentially, that's kind of my view. What 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 do you think? I think that our brains are part of us and I think our souls are also part of us. And so I think that it would be hard um, for everyone with different worldviews to figure out which one is higher up on the hierarchy for them. But I do think that because my faith come, um, my faith first comes from my soul and then the rest of my body that I guess um, spirituality would be, more important in healing than um the yeah brain part of it but the brain part of it also knows that just like i need to um test and see what the best are um 
the best influences are, right? How we talked about how I don't want to just get an adoptee healing and help from just one peer group, right? Like I want to talk to different people about my experiences. Um, I also want to make sure that I am testing and approving and seeing what the spiritual sources too, right? To see like, um, okay, well, what if my faith and my religion says X, Y, and Z, how does that actually work, right? Don't just accept spiritual things as fact, like really test it and see what it is, you know, or else it's just like another post on the internet, right? Are you going to believe everything you see? So make sure that you're really reading and seeing what, um, what there is out there for you. And I think that sometimes people are really scared to get in touch with spirituality and faith because, um, it's done a lot of bad things and people have a lot of hurt from it. And I, I think that's very valid. Um, but I know that the God that I'm best friends with doesn't have, (laughs) doesn't have that hurtful view. And, um, it's hard when the world tells us that there's so many different things. And, and so I, I understand if not everybody finds their hope in spirituality, but yeah, I think spirituality would, would have a higher hierarchy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we, uh, I, I, I love the way that you express that. Um, I thought it's beautiful. Um, I'd say that we we're we're not. Um, I'm drawing. I'm just drawing a little. Um, I'm just drawing a a little kind of process here. So, what we're doing is we're 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 not we're not our trauma. So our trauma is made of thoughts, thoughts and feelings. So the, the process goes, we're not our feelings. So we're not our heart. We're not our thoughts. So we're not our brain. We are, in your words, uh, or in a, my words, actually, we, we are children of God from a religious perspective or from my perspective, we are a non-religious perspective. We are our spirit or we are consciousness. So the ultimate thing here that we're doing is we're trying to um, separate who we are and I, people have heard me. Have you have you seen me doing the fist and the diamond thing? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> people love the diamond, right? So the the clenched fist is the metaphor for our trauma. Opening the palm of the clenched fist, we see the diamond that is uh, hidden by the clenched fist of our trauma hmm. so I start I start off with one hand holding the diamond and then I, I go to I go to two hands so I'm separating my I'm, I've got my right fist sorry th- this is great for a podcast because this is audio <laughs> and I'm, I'm holding I'm holding the metaphor up, I'm holding my finger so my right fist my right hand is still in the fist 
my left hand is holding the diamond and I'm actually moving them further and further away. So they start off really yeah. close and then we're, we're, we're stretching them far and far. So we, we are not our trauma. It goes back to the positivity doesn't mean ignoring the pain. And, and that's kind of, I think, my diamond equivalent that I say a lot. <laughs> okay, so, so give us more on that. Positivity. Positivity does not mean ignoring pain. And that kind of leads, I think that 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 leads into the title of one of your books, isn't it? It's adoption both. is both. Adoption is both. <laughs> so yes, that's a kid's <laughs> book. That's a pretty big, deep thought for a kid's book. But adoption is both is all about um, it's really for families to start the conversations around the complexities of adoption. But at its core, adoption can be happy. Adoption can be sad. Adoption can make our heart hurt or make it feel glad. And so the entire book goes through in a cute rhyming way um, how it's okay for adoptees, um, especially children, to hold space for both um, happier or sad or more sad emotions. And I'm not telling the adoptee what feelings to feel, but I'm also saying that there's room for a lot of feelings. I think a lot of parents are concerned that they're introducing sadness or they're introducing the primal wound to their child. And that's just really not the case. The kid is already going to figure that part out. Um, <laughs> they're already going to have some, some sadness, right? Um, because they're human and we experience a lot of emotions. And, but that was really important. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's, there's, there's the book for, for kids. And then there's the, um, you've also got the collection of uh, stories as well. What's that book called? Through Adopted Eyes Adopted is Eyes. the collection of like 50 adoptees all answering questions and talking about their adoption stories. What's the best part about being adopted? What's the worst part? Um, what's the, what's, you know, all of that. And it's been really, really fun to read everyone's, everyone's stories. So. Yeah. And a great way to, uh, to tune in to 50 different perspectives because, you know, um, Perspective is everything, and it's a word that you use quite a lot. So, um, but yeah, so you, if you're wondering, well, how do I? It's it's about, I guess, it's been about being open to different perspectives, and and the the the, the stories book gives you a, a simple way to do that. You've got fifty different perspectives of it, so you can kind of compare and contrast. You can look at um, you 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 can compare sandwiches, you can compare sandwiches. Yeah, I think so. Uh, trauma sandwiches. <laughs> Um, so that would be a good one. You could do like a illustrated version um, and have people illustrate their sandwich. Yeah, I love that. I feel like we're on to something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'd be cool. Um, so it it, it 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 it's it relates to an exercise that I did um, two thousand and nine. So I, I mentioned this this uh, mentor of mine, uh, Elizabeth Ivory, the book who it, it links. Links to Eleanor's books, links to and a website, links to Liz's book in the show notes, listeners. Um, so I'd spent five days with her and her now husband um, and another four or five of us, <clears throat> nothing to do with adoption, but all to do with identity. And, and we uh, we did um, we we did sausage machine day, right? So. 
we get out of life what we put in. So, like, if you want, if you want a, uh, if you want a, uh, a pork sausage, assuming you're not Jewish, right, and you know you're not into kosher stuff, um, if you want a pork sausage, then what you put in, pork, pork, pork right. Um, if you want a, uh, if you want a beef sausage, then you put beef in. Um, most of us want uh, to, to be happy. So we want a happy sausage, but we're not putting in to the sausage machine what we want um, because we're not choosing our ingredients. Our ingredients have been chosen for us by what we've been through in life. So it's about, that's why the book's called It's Not Your Fault. Liz, Liz's book is called It's Not Your Fault. It's not your title. fault because you're not choosing new ingredients. Uh, so, so we're off the hook, right? It's not our fault that we're feeling. And how freeing is that, right? That yeah. it's not, yeah. So yeah, the sandwich, uh, the, the 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 trauma sandwich idea, sits pretty well with uh, the sausage the sausage machine idea. Yeah, we have a whole menu going. This is great. Uh, menu going. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we're going to try some marmite out as well. <laughs> I, I'm in you the hate. Camp. I'm in the hate camp of marmite. Yeah, I probably am too. I'm pretty picky. Yeah. So, and you like sweet things. Marmite's quite savory. Yeah. So, um. Uh, it's been a fantastic conversation uh, from my, I hope, it, I hope you've enjoyed it too. You've been smiling. Absolutely. Thank you. I know it's so fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to, uh, to, to, to share with the listeners? I think I would just say that if you're listening and you don't know where to start or you've never shared your adoption story um, or talk to other adoptees, just make sure that you have safe, trusted people to share with and um, don't be afraid to reach out for help. Um, because we all we all need help so um, don't be afraid to reach out and and talk about it yeah and uh, uh, something that occurred to me as you were talking about the different perspectives I would say that from my experience uh, in-person groups are tend to be more uh, yeah more healthy than groups are I, I've seen online groups. Um, it, 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 they're very different. They're very different places. In the same way as people are far nicer to one another face to face than they are from behind an email. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We we put things in in emails that we would never dare to say to people's faces sometimes. So. Mm -hmm. Especially if we're especially if our trauma sandwich is thick and moldy. Yeah. yeah. So thanks a lot, Eleanor. Um, Thank uh, you. And uh, listeners, uh, do check out what Eleanor's doing. And, and I, I meant to, I talked about the author's things earlier on. And I talked about, you know, Eleanor's just talked about the importance of sharing, sharing your story. I think one of the great things about having authors on there um, the, the the show is that that cathartic process of writing 
has brought, uh, give, has given the authors some perspective um, and a little bit of distance. So they are uh, ahead of, uh, they're ahead on the, the, the healing journey. So thanks a lot, Anna. Thanks, listeners, and we'll speak to you very soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.